But I'm really glad to be here. Uh, I honestly, this week, for a while, did not think anyone would be open. Uh, so I'm really glad that things have worked out um, with the outbreak and that everything's under control and we can be back. We haven't missed a single week, so we're doing pretty good. Um, so we've been going through this series of prophecies uh, for the last few weeks uh, about Jesus uh, looking forward to the Easter season. So the first week we were in Genesis 3. Uh, we saw that from the moment that the curses were given, that God had a plan for humanity to send Jesus and to defeat Satan's power once and for all. And then last week we looked at the fulfillment of a rule regarding the Passover lamb. Then um, the rule was that not a, a bone of the Passover lamb could be broken. We saw that John and the apostles had all identified Jesus as the Passover lamb, uh, the lamb of God without blemish or defect. And as we learned more about the importance of that prophecy um, and that prophetic role, um, we learned that like in the original Passover sacrifice, that Jesus' death atones for the sins of the people that his blood purifies and cleanses, and his body sanctifies those who partake in his kingdom. Because this sacrifice was made by God himself in the form of his son Jesus, it was the ultimate sacrifice. So today we're going to continue with this prophetic um, series, uh, and we're going to look at a story uh, this week. And it's not a story that's usually directly associated as being prophetic, uh, but if you haven't been taught that association before, you'll probably be able to see it pretty quickly, even when I just name the story. Um, so this story looks forward to Jesus and looks forward to God's plans for humanity. Uh, I spoke for a moment last week about how God would sometimes have people act out the prophetic message that he wanted to convey to his audience. Uh, and I've given the example of the prophet Hosea, although I couldn't remember his name. Um, but Hosea was asked to marry a prostitute, and his marriage was meant to symbolize God's relationship with Israel. Just as a hint, if you've never read that story, Hosea's role is not um, symbolizing Israel in that relationship. Um, today, we're going to see another example of this, and this is going to be in Genesis 22. And this is the story of when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And while the main purpose of that event at the moment was not necessarily to foretell the coming of Jesus and his sacrifice, the foreshadowing and the illusion in this story do just that. And we'll see at the end of this story that there's also some prophetic um, message from God as well. So today we'll feel the, um, the immensity of the sacrifice of God's one and only son through the sacrifice asked of Abraham. As always, um, you're probably getting used to the way I preach now. Um, the first thing I like to do is try to examine the context and the background to give us, um, I guess, a little more information before we jump in. And this week, I want to do a bit of that before we even read the passage, just to kind of get our heads into where this story falls uh, in the greater context around it, because there's a lot that happens in Genesis, and it scans a long period of time. So, starting with the book of Genesis itself, just a little bit of background. Uh, we believe that Moses wrote the book of Genesis. We actually believe he wrote the first five books of the Bible, which are called the Pentateuch. And that's based on church tradition, but also statements by Jesus. So, in John 5, 46, Jesus says, 
If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. And, and what we can kind of get from that is that Jesus knows that Moses already wrote about him, and that means that, you know, Moses must have written something, and those are the books that are identified, and in that generation were also identified as being written by Moses. So um, I guess the way I see it is if Jesus believed that Moses wrote them, then I guess I do too. Uh, just a fun fact, side note, that I learned in Christian college. Uh, one day when we were complaining about having to memorize a chapter of the Bible, uh, Jewish boys had to memorize the Pentateuch. Um, I think it was between the ages of 8 and 12. Uh, and so that was the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, five books of the Bible completely memorized. Um, I cannot imagine trying to get a children's ministry to do that now. <laughs> just a fun fact, though. Um, so the important part is we believe Moses wrote those first five books. Uh, and especially in this, uh, for the purposes of today, Genesis, he is the author of that. Um, now, there's no listed purpose of writing in Genesis, but we believe that it operates as a foundation. So it's kind of a foundational start for the rest of Scripture. Everything is based on that. So it gives us an understanding uh, of why the world is the way it is, uh, how we came to be where we are now, and it gives us a lens through which to view the world around us. Now, when you're studying anything in the Bible, one thing you need to do, especially in the Old Testament, is something called literary typing. Uh, and that's just a fancy name for identifying the genre of the passage. What uh, type of literature is this? Uh, because there's a lot of different types in the Bible. We, we treat it as one book, but it's actually many collections of writings and different genres. Uh, and so knowing what kind of literary type it is kind of helps you know how to interpret it. Uh, so Genesis 22 is identified as a literary type called legend. Now, legend, in, when you're talking about scriptural typing, is not the same as legend when we say it. So today if I say something's a legend, we mean that it's basically a myth, some folk tale, and um, we know probably isn't true, but it's a good story. Uh, but when you're talking about scripture, uh, a legend is a traditional story with a historical element that has an important role to play in a people's understanding of their past. Uh, so in scripture, they are considered to be true stories, but by identifying it as a legend, what they mean is that it was one of those cultural, traditional stories that everyone knew. Uh, if you mentioned this story, there was not a single person who would not have heard it. And I feel like that's even true today of this story. Uh, even if you're not grown up in the church, you've probably heard of Abraham. Uh, and so, in this context um, with Scripture, to be a legend, uh, what it means is that understanding this story is an important part of understanding Israel's past. Um, it, it's a very important story that um, it, it foretells a lot of things and it, it gives you a context on where Israel came from. So this is a bit of context and background on the actual passage, the story of Abraham offering to sacrifice, or, or being asked to offer Isaac. Uh, so a little on Abraham, Abraham was called out of a land called Ur by God, uh, with the promise that he would be made into a great nation. And we believe that Ur was probably somewhere in modern-day Iraq. Um, at, at a very old age, he was asked to do this, and at a very old age, he was promised a son by God. Uh, and God promised him that through this son, he would bless him and make 
this son into a nation and, and give him land and blessing for all generations to come. Now, the only problem, like I said, is that Abraham and his wife Sarah were very, very old. Um, at this point in time, people didn't live as long as they did at the start of Genesis, but Abraham was a very old man, uh, and he lived longer than even then was traditionally or um, culturally normal. Uh, so when God tells them that they're going to have a son, Sarah actually was listening to this conversation, and she laughed. And God knew that she laughed, but she laughs at this promise that they would have a child. She's like, yeah, right. They did not believe God. And so Sarah made Abraham sleep with her servant, Hagar, uh, so that she could have a son through Hagar uh, and claim this child as her son instead. Uh, so Hagar has a son named Ishmael through Abraham, but God says, no, you're, you're still going to have a son of your own through Sarah. And after a bit, they finally believe him. Uh, and then Abraham becomes pregnant, and then has Isaac. Scripture says that Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born, um, which is, was boggling then, and is definitely boggling for us now to picture you know, this couple. Um, I, I, I can't remember exactly how old Sarah was at this point, but probably right around the same age, uh, maybe a little younger, uh, but not much. So right around 100. So this son is born uh, in their old age through whom God will create a great nation and give land and blessing to. And that promise is really important in this story, the, the promise to make a nation through, his, through Isaac. Uh, so after Isaac's born, um, Abraham sends Hagar and Ishmael away. And I don't want to send, spend too much time on that just for the sake of time. But in a nutshell, Sarah, after she has Isaac, becomes jealous. Uh, becomes jealous of Ishmael, uh, and started to treat them badly. So she asks Abraham to send Hagar and his son Ishmael away, uh, and basically disown them. And he was very upset about this, as you would imagine a parent would be, uh, and he didn't want to do it. But God said that it would be okay, that he would take care of them, and he would bless Ishmael and his descendants as well. So God says, it's okay, trust me, I will take care of them, they will be blessed too. So then Abraham concedes, and he sends them away, leaving Isaac as his only son. And then after this incident, they settled in the Beersheba region for a period. Um, Modern-day Beersheba is about 200,000 people. Back then, it was a well in the desert. Um, so they're kind of in the wilderness here a bit. So we don't know how long he was here. It says for a, a period, but there's some contextual clues around the passage that give us some information. The reason it's important is because of how old Isaac was. Um, we traditionally believe that he was a young boy, but when you look at the actual context, the dates, uh, the time frame, it's actually most likely he'd grown into adolescence or manhood, which is not something that I learned in Sunday school. Um, if you, you'll notice in most English translations that it refers to Isaac as the boy often, uh, don't lay a hand on the boy, take the boy. But that's actually a mistranslation. The Hebrew word here is a flexible word, and it's used in Scripture to describe anything from infancy to young adulthood, and sometimes it's even referred to, uh, used to refer to servants. Uh, it was kind of a broad term. We translate it as boy because we have this picture of Isaac as a young boy when this happens, but Abraham uses the exact same word in this story, 
to refer to as young servants, and we translate, translate that as the young men. Um, so it's just kind of interesting. But based on the chronology of events and all the context that we have, it's most likely he was between 15 and 25 years old, which changes a lot. We'll get there. <laughs> all right, so all that context, I'm ready to finally read the story. So this is Genesis 22. Uh, we're just reading up to verse 19. So it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. This is sometime after he was in Beersheba. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. I, I have to check with her, so that's right, right? I kept calling it Moria at home. She's like, you need to stop watching Lord of the Rings. <laughs> um, Moriah. Take him, go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, and this is the word that we translate as servants or young men, but it's the same one we translate as boys. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Same word, boy and servants. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. I kind of have always wondered how he carried the fire in this story, but I guess we don't get that information. Um, as the two of them are traveling on together, Isaac speaks up and says to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? So he's catching a hunt. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together, and when they reached the place that God told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there's a thicket. He saw a ram caught by his horns in it. He went over and grabs the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide, and to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and he stayed there. Okay, so, ton there. Um, I'm going to take it section by section and look at it piece by piece. Uh, so first of all, God calls Abraham's name, and Abraham immediately responds, um, Here I am. And then God asks of him the unthinkable. Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. 
And what stands out to me the most in this sentence is not what God asks. It's how he asks it. He could have just said, take Isaac and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him. That would have gotten the point across. Um, it would have told him what he wanted him to do. But he doesn't do that. He could have said, take Isaac, whom you love, and sacrifice him. To make the point, you know, you love your son and now I want you to sacrifice him. But he doesn't do that either. He says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and sacrifice him. Every word of this request stabs deeper and deeper into Abraham's heart like a dagger. He's already been forced to send his son Ishmael away, who he also loves. Isaac is all he has left, his one and only son through his wife Sarah. And his whole life he has prayed for this child. For decades God has promised him this child. And he's, he's finally gotten this child and he loves him without reservation. And remember from the context we studied, Isaac is not just a child, he's also a promise. God promised Abraham that he would give him a son through Sarah, and that he would turn this son into a nation with land and blessing for all generations. It was on this promise that he's followed God out of his homeland and done all these things. He's not just their son whom they deeply love, he's also the symbol and the means of God's promise to Abraham. And now God says, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and sacrifice him. You know, I think when we read these stories, sometimes we forget um, and we don't realize that these are real people with real emotions like us. So I can't help but ask, what would you do in this situation? I can't even relate, I don't have kids. But I can't even imagine, for those that do, to relate to this story. This is a very relatable story to put your shoe, yourself in the shoes of. What would you do? I feel like it wouldn't be to get up early the next morning, load your donkey, and head off to sacrifice your son. But that, to me, is the most amazing part of this story. Because that is exactly what Abraham does. After what I imagine was a terrible night's sleep... It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. First thing the next morning. I've studied this passage a few times, and the conclusion I come to every time is this. Abraham was a man of deep faith. He believes that God will do what he says he will do. He believes that when God makes a covenant, that he keeps his word. And God made a covenant with him that through his son Isaac, he would make him a great nation for all generations. And he knows that when God makes a covenant, he keeps his word. God made a promise to him, and he believes that God will keep it. But God also wants him to sacrifice and kill Isaac. This son through whom this promise will be kept. He can't put those two together. They don't compute. But he knows that God keeps his word. He trusts that God will keep his word. He believes God will not break his covenant. Now, I don't know what Abraham expected to happen. We can only speculate. I don't know if he expected that God would stop him at the last minute as he does. I don't know if he thought that God would raise him from the dead. I don't know. I can only speculate. 
But I truly believe that Abraham thought and knew something would happen because he believed with all his heart that God would not break that covenant with him. Even if he sacrificed and killed the one through whom that covenant and promise was to be kept. It's the only thing that makes sense in this story. So they arrive at the mountain. He says to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham takes the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb. So there's a few things going on here. Uh, the first thing I see is that Isaac starting to put the pieces together. Um, like I said, when you change and, and understand Isaac wasn't actually necessarily a boy, but he was a young adult, this is more interesting. He's not dumb. He, can, he knows how burnt sacrifices work. He's probably seen his father do them many times before. He knows that you need something to sacrifice, and they don't have it. And also in this culture... Yahweh, uh, the God that we serve, did not believe in child sacrifice, but all the cultures around them did. All of them. And so Isaac knew that too. So we can only imagine, like, he's putting the pieces together here. And then we also see that Abraham takes the wood off the donkey and puts it on Isaac's back. I want you to remember this because we will come back to this piece. There's an important piece here on the prophetic side. But there's also just a human nature side to this, too. Why would Abraham put the wood on Isaac's back? From the human side, maybe because he's 100 plus years old. Um, you know, if we stick to the 15 to 25 year range for Isaac, that makes Abraham 115 to 125 years old. The fact that he can take a three-day journey and then walk up a mountain is, is incredible. <laughs> uh, I don't blame him for not carrying the wood up the mountain. But I do want you to take note of the fact that Isaac's carrying the wood. We'll come back to that. And then finally, we come to the sacrifice. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Uh, and then the angel of the Lord jumps in and says, Abraham, don't lay a hand on the boy. Um, and you get kind of the picture that this was a last-minute intervention. Um, whenever there's paintings of this, you see Abraham with the knife up in the air and his son on the table and the angel coming in like, don't do it. Um, so it's right till this last minute. And then this angel says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So here we see that whatever Abraham expected God to do, or even if he didn't know what God was going to do, but just believed he would keep his word, Abraham was fully ready to go through with it. He had the knife in his hand, and he was going to do it. But the angel stops him and says, Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And I believe if the angel had not showed up, I think he would have done. And then Abraham sees a ram caught in a bush, and they offer it as a sacrifice instead. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time, and said, I swear by myself that because you have not done this, or because you have done this, 
and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. All right, so application. What does this mean for us? How is it an Easter prophecy? Uh, what should we take away from this story? So the first thing the story does for us is it forces us to consider the immensity of the sacrifice of a loved child. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and sacrifice him. And like I said, every word of that was calculated to stab deeper and deeper into his heart, to force him to consider the full implications of what God was asking him. All through this story, God doesn't say, Isaac or the boy, he says, take your son, your only son, or because you did not withhold your son, your only son, it's stressed to almost an uncomfortable extent in this story. Because you did not withhold your son, your only son, I will bless you. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. God asked Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son, and he was ready to do that without hesitation. And this is how deep his love was for God and his faith in God to keep his promises. But all that aside, one thing's very clear. This was the biggest sacrifice God could have possibly asked of Abraham. The second thing that this story does for us is it plays out the eventual sacrifice of Jesus. First, like I said, the sacrifice of a loved son. Compare Genesis 22, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and sacrifice him with John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have the gift of everlasting life. But also consider the location. God asked Abraham to go to the region of Moriah, and if you look at 2 Chronicles 3.1, it identifies Moriah as the mountain on which the temple was built. It says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. And there is still a bit of debate on this, but most commentaries are in agreement that the mountain Abraham went to with Isaac was the same mountain that Jerusalem's built around and that the temple was built on, and therefore the same region where Jesus was crucified, which makes this really interesting. On the same mountain, on the mountain he chose, God provided a substitute for sacrificing Isaac. On the same mountain, the Israelites offered sacrifices to God as a substitutionary way to receive forgiveness of sins. And on the same mountain, Jesus took our sins upon himself and died as our sacrificial lamb. And if you've ever heard of the Dome of the Rock on the Temple Mount, um, it's actually kind of held by uh, the Muslim community because they believe this is where um, Muhammad rose up to heaven. But Jews believe that there's, there's an actual rock in this Dome of the Rock. Uh, and the Jews believe this was the site on which Abraham intended to sacrifice Isaac. And if all the scholars and commentaries are correct, then God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son in the same place that his own son would die in. Another way which is plays out the eventual sacrifice of Jesus is through the willingness of Isaac. And this is another piece that, when I've studied this, has kind of blown me away because it's completely different 
to how I understood this as a child. Many have tried to argue that Isaac was not willing to be sacrificed, and that makes logical sense. Um, the, people think that when he realized what was happening, Abraham had to tie him up and, and, and bind him, but I don't think that's true, and you're, okay, you're allowed to disagree with me. Um, but for one, he makes Isaac carry the wood for the burnt offering. And like I've said before, sometimes we skip over the human part of Scripture. Why might Abraham have made Isaac carry the wood of the mountain? Like I said, because he was about 120-ish years old, for one. Um, the fact that he could even make it up the mountain by himself was amazing. But I think that this fact, this human aspect, is why I believe Abraham, or Isaac was willing to be sacrificed. Or at least was submissive to his father's plan, even if he wasn't excited about it. So picture this. If Isaac, as a 15 to 25-year-old young man, was not willing to be sacrificed, and that is why Abraham had to tie him up, I assume that would have taken some strength and force. And again, 15 to 25 years old, Abraham is likely to fit 115 to 125 years old. If Abraham couldn't carry the wood up the mountain, he most likely could not have fought and tied up a 10-year-old, let alone a 15 to 25-year-old man. That's my conclusion, anyways. I think that Isaac knew what was happening from the moment he asked the question regarding the lamb. Maybe earlier, um, he could have run at any moment. Um, when they went up the mountain together, it was just Abraham and Isaac. He could have refused to carry the wood. He could have run. He could have fought his father. Uh, but he didn't do any of those things. But I think he didn't do any of those things because he had the faith of his father. I think he submitted to being tied up and submitted to being sacrificed, just like Jesus. And then one more way in which the story plays at the sacrifice of Jesus, circling back to the firewood like I said I eventually would, uh, just as Jesus was forced to carry the wooden cross that would ultimately be his death, Isaac was made to carry the wood on his back that was intended for the burnt offering of which he was the intended subject. So yeah, the second thing, this plays out the story of Jesus. The third thing this story does for us is it prophetically connects Abraham's faith in this moment to God's plan for mankind. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Because Abraham obeyed God, all the nations on the earth will be blessed. Because he did not withhold his one and only son, God will not withhold his. John 8.56, Jesus says to the Pharisees, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And every single commentary and Bible that I could lay my hands on listed Genesis 22 as the cross-reference for that passage. It lists this sacrificing of Isaac as the cross-reference for this, of Abraham seeing Jesus coming and rejoicing. It was on that day, in that moment, on that mountain, that Abraham saw the coming of Jesus. He rejoiced and named it, The Lord Will Provide. 
In conclusion, it is really cool to see how God works through history and how he uses the lives of others to display his love for the world. While God did test Abraham through his command to sacrifice Isaac, he asked of him no more than he was willing to offer himself. And yet at the same time, this story really makes us see and feel the immensity of that sacrifice in which God gave, and that Abraham was ready and willing to give. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and sacrifice him. As we approach the Easter season, we have seen that God had a plan from the very beginning to defeat the power of Satan. We've seen that this plan was to send a lamb, perfect and without blemish, to be sacrificed for the sins of us all. And this week we see that this was not just any lamb, but his son, his only son, who he loves, Jesus. Through this story of Abraham, we've been able to try to connect to the true depth of what that sacrifice meant for a father to make, and yet we can't even come close to what God sacrificed for us. Abraham was ready to sacrifice Isaac because of his faith in God to keep his promises. But God chose to sacrifice his son freely simply because he loves us. I can't imagine how Abraham must have slept that night uh, before he packed up his things after God had asked him of this. I cannot imagine it was a good night and they didn't have melatonin then. So he probably tossed and turned if he slept at all. To have that on his chest all night and for the three days traveling to this mountain must have been the hardest thing for him to experience. But God, he knew from the very beginning of time what Jesus would go through if he was sent. He knew that we would reject him. He knew that we would hate him, spit on him, and mock him, and crucify him. And he still chose to give his son, his one and only son, as a sacrifice to pay for our sins. And as we leave today, and as we go about our week, let's remember that and meditate on that, and the immensity of that sacrifice, because we definitely did not earn it, and we did not deserve to be the recipients of that kind of love. I'll close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for the sacrifice that you gave that we did not deserve. I thank you that you loved us so much that you were willing to give that. I just ask that as we go into this Easter season and as we go through our weeks and interact with those around us, we remember the love that you have for us and be willing to share that with those around us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.